right, so we are starting. Well, we started last week. We did the introduction to the letter of Paul to the Galatians. And uh, in this morning, we're starting in chapter 1. And we'll continue to go through all the way, all the way um, until we're finished with uh, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians. So let's start out um, by reading the first uh, 10 verses of this letter. Um, the title of this morning's message is No Other Gospel. No Other Gospel. So let's begin. Verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he continues in verse 6, writing, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Mm. Heavenly Father, Lord, just in reading that once more, Lord, you paint the picture in our minds and our hearts very clearly of the emotions that are behind the letters. Lord, you used the Apostle Paul in some amazing ways, mighty ways. And we know that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it, it divides, it conquers, it reveals, it exposes, Father. That which is not of you so that that which is not of you can be repented of, can be turned from. And the person turned to you in no life, in life eternal. And so I pray this morning that you would expose anything that is not of you in our own lives. Lord, that we too would have the opportunity, just as the church in the region of Galatia had the opportunity to confess, to admit that those things that they had given themselves to and believed were false and were not of you and and instead turned to you and turned back to you. Lord, that they too would know... uh, a blessing, uh, really truly to walk in the Spirit and and to be a blessing to one another, spreading the truth of the gospel, the true gospel, 
And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing. Help us to understand what we have before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to J.P. Sweeney in the Lexham Bible Dictionary, it says, Galatians is one of the most studied letters of the New Testament. It was the object of attention in early and medieval Christianity, and its influence increased during the Reformation period. These were the years 590 to 1648. Martin Luther said, um, um, had lectured on Galatians in 1519 and in 1523. The substance of his lectures was later compiled into a commentary bearing his name. John Calvin cited Galatians frequently in his institutes, wrote a commentary on it, and preached on it. More recently, Boyce described Galatians as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And Longnecker and Bruce, in large measure, owing to the influence of Galatians, characterized Paul as the apostle of liberty and the apostle of the free spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians may be considered by some as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, or others may indeed consider even the Apostle Paul as the Apostle of liberty, or the Apostle of the free spirit. But I can tell you from what Scripture says that Paul, he again, we would need to be reminded, would steer us away from anything pertaining to him, to steer us to Jesus Christ, for he is the charter of liberty. That is Jesus, not the Apostle Paul. He is the one who came to set the captives free. Jesus, not Paul. He is the one who gives the way to freedom from slavery to sin and removes the sting of death. Jesus, not Paul. I find it interesting how in commentaries and in many writings how it is that man tends to elevate himself and man tends to even elevate other men. And we ought not. We ought to just fall to the wayside. We ought to fall to the shadows. And we are to exalt and worship the one who has come to set truly the captives free. We ought to point to him, Jesus Christ, and no other. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then, of course, we know John 14, 6 Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul, in no uncertain terms, directing all the good news towards Jesus Christ, communicated that very thing. Communicating and declaring to all that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. There were no works on our part necessary to bring us into that place or that position before the Lord of being right before Him. No additional anything needed. No miracles we need to perform. No special tongue we need to demonstrate that we can speak. Nothing else. Jesus did it all on the cross for you and I. We know that Paul's letter to the Galatians was filled with passion. I was thinking about that, how it was that, and we were in prayer this morning. 
And I was thinking about the timing of this, this letter and, and this letter being taught in this church at this time, in this Christmas season, knowing that many other churches are really teaching a series on Jesus and, you know, the, the Christmas season. And I understand, I, I, I do understand that that does bring people in. And it can be excused for many reasons. It can be justified in some way, shape, or form. But knowing the day and age in which we live in, the challenges that we have before us, the things that are coming against our families, our marriages, our children, I just can't get myself to teach a series that Perhaps we'll tickle the ears. We'll teach on how to become a better person in society when the gospel already does that. As we draw closer to the Lord, it'll spiritually and supernaturally do that. Quite honestly, even a, a marriage series. Why? Because as we draw closer to the Lord, as we learn what it says in God's word and we apply it to our marriages our marriages will be healed they'll be strong and we'll know how to behave in that relationship Paul I can look to him I can look to John I can look to Peter I can look to all all of these men before me they never taught a series Paul simply taught the whole counsel of God. And I think especially during the season, we are so caught up in the busyness of, of the season. Material things, we're so concerned about getting the right gifts for everyone and we're so overwhelmed. We need to take a moment. Just look around you. People are busy. I think this place ought to be filled up, especially during this time. After all, it is about Jesus, isn't it? Where is everyone? Why aren't they here worshiping the Lord? Well, they're out doing other things. I, I cannot get myself to do anything but simply bring forth to you the very word of God. So I can point to you just as Paul did, just as John, just as Paul, uh, Peter did, just as all these men before us just point to Jesus. That's, that's it. That's where life is. That's where life is known. That's where life is found. That's where hope is known. But he was filled with passion. And there was this righteous anger over the fact that they had turned away so quickly from what they were taught. So quickly. Paul quickly after his greeting 
points out exactly why he's writing this letter. But before continuing in his concern, Paul explains his authority and credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He states the reason why he's writing this letter, and then he gives, he breaks down why he has the authority to write this very letter to address them in such a way. We ought to know from the beginning what the Word of God is. It may have been personally written by a person. That is what we have before us. But it is the very breath of God, eternal, and will come about perfectly as it is written. Paul was simply an instrument. It's like saying that the pen wrote the letter. There's no way that the pen can pick itself up and write the letter. The Apostle Paul was simply the instrument to jot down the very words of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul, knowing this very well, said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For this reason, Paul is making it very clear that there is no other gospel but the one that he had taught them. In his greeting, Paul immediately makes it known that he is an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He also says that others are with him. There are other men with me, but there is no doubt that the writing of this letter was no team effort, but written solely by Paul himself into the churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia, by the way, was made up of Celts. They came uh, from descend. They were descendants from those who were considered and known as Celtic invaders, who in 189 BC were defeated by the Romans, but then became independent and yet were loyal to Rome. They were allies of Rome. These former Celtic invaders were known in Latin as Gauls, and then known as the Galatians that we have before us, as they remain confined to this area of Asia Minor. In verses 6 through 10, Paul explains why he is writing this letter. But then in verses 11, 24, which we do not have the time to go into this Sunday, he explains how his calling came about from Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul wanted to drive it home for the Galatians that he was not just an apostle who was to announce because an apostle is one who has been sent, a sent one. But not just a sent one, but rather served as an appointed representative in an official status by the Lord sent out as his apostle to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Credentials not given by man, but by God. But we first have this graceful introduction, verses 1 through 5. Again, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present Evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Even in the introduction of Paul, there is much that we can glean from, we can take and learn and apply to our own lives. 
Yes, Paul states clearly that he's an apostle, an appointed official servant of Jesus Christ, one who is sent in an official capacity. And there are others with him, and Paul gives his very familiar greeting in verses 3 through 5. Paul, a man who is very familiar with the grace of God, mentioned it over a hundred times in his writings of the New Testament. It is often pointed out that peace can never be known before grace. Therefore, peace will come if grace is received and known in the heart of anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's greeting is, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In this introduction, Paul also points out that Jesus is the one who gave himself for our sins. No one else. This is the greatest gift that we could ever know. Why? Because in Christ, we are free from condemnation of sin and therefore delivered from the power of this present evil age. And as I said from the very beginning, how it is that I am compelled to basically just teach and preach the Word of God in order that we may be better equipped knowing and going forth understanding that we are no longer held under the power of the world or even of sin. And as we do go forth in victory in Christ, I pray that we have confidence and the humility to tell others the good news. And by the way, this is all according to the Father's will. This is the love that was demonstrated to us. How are we delivered from the power of this present evil age? Well, Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Free from sin, from the power of sin, from being enslaved to sin. I would encourage you, if you're... If you're taking notes, to jot down Romans chapter 6 and then read it in its entirety. Paul wanted to remind them of this as he addressed the concern he had of them deserting Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were turning away from grace. As they turned away from Jesus, as they turned away from the gospel, they were turning away from grace, which is a gift. Grace is unmerited favor. Even in Paul's greeting, he is reminding them that their salvation is known only in Christ, and it was by His grace. But then we have this heartfelt rebuke, a strong rebuke in verses 6 through 10. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He was amazed, he was astonished Paul was greatly surprised that the people of Galatia had turned away from Jesus Christ and His grace. Paul was making it very clear that they were turning away from Jesus Himself. And Paul was calling them deserters. He was saying, you've turned your back, you're, you're traitors to the one that you have proclaimed allegiance to. They had proclaimed... Jesus is Lord and as Savior. And now they were completely turning their backs on Him by believing and following another gospel. 
of which there is no such thing as another gospel. There's just one. You can't, you can't be a part of something that is false and still claim allegiance to the one who you have proclaimed as Lord. You just, you just can't do it. You're either, well, you're either for him or against him. There's no in-between. Well, you know, I stand on one side and the other. You, you, you can't do that. It's impossible to do that. You'll be torn apart. These were ones who had claimed allegiance to Jesus, and now they're being duped. They're being fooled into thinking that something else is true. It's always bewildering to see someone turn from grace and back to the law. It's like how, once knowing grace, understanding God's grace, how is it that you can go back to living under the law? How can you do that? I know there are people who have come out of bondage under the law and that somehow, some way, they feel such great condemnation that they have to go back to it after once knowing God's grace. It's always bewildering. Believing we have to do something in order to find favor in God's eyes. But Paul was concerned that they were turning away from grace. That's what his great concern was. They would find themselves in bondage once more to the flesh and the world, and and they would absolutely know no peace at all. If you find yourself without peace, ask yourself, why? Ask God why. He will reveal to you why. Are you not trusting God? Are you full of anxiety and worry? Are you carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders when you ought not to? Just cast your cares on me. Your anxieties. Why? Because he cares is what the word of God tells us. Your burdens, everything cast on him. Well, why, are, why are you anxious? Why are you filled with anxiety? Because you're not trusting in the Lord. Perhaps in your own works, trying to better the flesh. You can't better the flesh. It's impossible to better the flesh. Something that is already corrupt remains corrupt no matter how good you make that corruption. It's still corrupt. You need to seek the Lord. That's why I love Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You guys know. You guys ought to recite it yourselves by now, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to point out a few things here. Number one, the false gospels are brought or introduced by troubling and troubled people. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse 1. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does that have to do with false gospels being brought by troubled people? (laughs) I think we're troubled, and that's why we look for troubled people. What I mean by that is, why do you, let, let me ask you this. Why do you go to church? Is it really because of the pastor? I know you're not here because of that. <laughs> I know that. I still wonder why we even have people here. I, I seriously do. I, I, I remember going back to the times of, of being at the community center and wondering, what are you doing, Lord? And he says, well, I use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I love that. I, I want to remember. The more I know, the more I see and I understand the word of God, the more I want that. I don't want you here because of any one person. That's nonsense. Do You go to a church because, oh, I mean, it's amazing That pastor is such a great communicator. There's nothing wrong with being a good communicator. But if you're just going because the person is charismatic, careful, careful. If you're going just because of the extracurricular activities, because of all of the the externals, careful. That church, it can have all of that, but make sure they're teaching the word of God. That's the most important thing. Why do you come to church? Do you come with Bible open, pen ready? You're there, you're ready to to be the Berean. To really test all things and to make sure that you're you're there to meet with the Lord. You're there to hear from the Word of God. What, What is it that the Spirit has to say to the church? That's what I want to know. That's why I love it. I, I had to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5 through 5, because the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul of liberty and freedom said, hey, I didn't come to you in lofty speech. I wasn't eloquent. I, I wasn't any of those things. I, I just came to you. Right, My speech, my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and, and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's what I desire for you, that you would grow in your faith and that you would have peace and cling to and trust in the power of God in His Word. Many times false gospels are introduced by charismatic people who seem genuine. These people are not going to tell you they are introducing a false gospel. Don't wait for them to tell you, oh, by the way, this is a false gospel, but it sounds really good. They're not going to tell you that. Just as people who do evil don't announce their evil deeds before they do them. They disguise themselves as something or someone good. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11.
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. These are troubling people who introduce troubling false gospels in order to undermine the grace of God and lead people down a path of destruction. Please remember the intentions of Satan. Um, they're exactly what the intentions of these people are. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Number two, false teachers distort the gospel of Christ. Twist, mislead, provide a false account. They change the form of the gospel. And the question is, is why do so many people believe such an attack on the pure word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why? I, I, I don't understand that. And the bottom line is this. It's our pride. It's our pride. Because the gospel is deeply offensive. It's offensive. The gospel offends our pride, our wisdom, our knowledge. It confronts it head on. Our pride because the gospel points out that we need a savior and we can't do it ourselves. Oh, that hurts the pride, right? Our wisdom is made nothing in light of what the world considers foolishness. Jesus dying to save us from sin and death? Our knowledge says that this can't be possible. The world says this can't be possible. The intellectuals say this can't be possible. Those in Christ have secured eternal life in God's glory that is not known by anyone facing or walking the face of the earth. The intellectuals completely deny it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I don't have time. I have it here as my notes. Jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Read through that entirely. Thirdly, Paul, in no uncertain terms, strongly, condemns false teachers. Please read with me once more. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Just to make sure. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Two times, just to add emphasis and to make certain that we understand what he's saying. To establish it. 
I don't think there is any question about how Paul feels about those who introduce and teach a false gospel, is there? None whatsoever. He made it abundantly clear. He didn't sidestep the situation. He didn't beat around the bush. He came straight at it. No matter how sincere and passionate someone may appear, if they are leading people down a path of destruction and you knew it, what would you do? What would you say? What if he knew the stakes were the souls of people for all eternity? How would you respond? I just want them to be happy. Satisfied with the life that they're living now. Only to be condemned for all eternity. How would you respond? You were given this responsibility, this understanding, this knowledge. Why is there such opposition also within the church toward those who point out false teachers? Why is that? I I don't get it. Here are some arguments in defense of false teachers which are invalid biblically. Okay? Well, do you know them personally? Me? I don't have to know them personally. Especially if they're public figures like Brian Houston and Bill Johnson. I don't have to. Their teachings are in print and on social media and out there in the public domain. Why would you have that argument toward me or anyone else who points out false teachers that are out there spreading the false gospel and false teachings? Why Why would you oppose that? Well, have you approached them directly? Have you applied Matthew 18 to this person? Well, Matthew 18 applies to two brothers, one of whom offended the other. False teachers are simply teaching something that is false, and their sin is against the whole body of Christ. The church and false teachers are not my brothers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, and I will call them out for what they are. If they were my brother and they offended me directly and personally, I would go to them personally. But since they haven't, I won't. And I will identify them for who they are. And I will make no apologies for that. Well, I've heard this often. Why don't you just pray for them? I will. And I have. And I do. But Jesus didn't just say, hey, listen, just pray for the Pharisees. Pray for the Sadducees. Pray for the scribes. Pray for those who are false teachers. Just just pray for them. He didn't say that. He called them out. Paul didn't just say, just pray for the false teachers. He warned about them and called them out by name and had strong words for them. We just read a couple verses. Right? You read it with me, right? Why do you have to mention names? Because the Bible is very clear that they are to be identified and called out. Otherwise, the church will be guessing. Hymenaeus and Alexander, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Naming names. Phygelus and Hermogenes, 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Demas, 2 Timothy 4.10. Alexander the coppersmith, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. And others. Romans 16.17 very clearly says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter. He says, mark and avoid those who teach a different doctrine. And so much more on this issue that we are so torn about. Naming names has been considered by many to be divisive. And my prayer is, I hope so. I hope so. I hope it divides the church from the wolves in sheep's clothing and drives the believer away from the false teacher preaching and teaching a false gospel because it will prove empty and bring eternal destruction in that deception. Well... There's, there's another justification for continuing to listen to these people. An insistence on why their teachings have helped me. Well, in what way? To feel good about what you want to do or have they taught you to identify with the sufferings of Christ? Have they taught you to die to self? How about your ambition, surrender, contentment, all of those things? Are they teaching you truly the full counsel of God in proper context? Are they really doing that or are they tickling the ear once more? Are they making you feel good? Listen, joy far exceeds in our hope that we have in Christ, far exceeds any kind of personal and temporal feelings that we have at, at the moment during certain things. It's like just to justify what we're doing in the flesh. I would rather sacrifice all of that for the sake of understanding the sufferings of Christ and knowing that even through those things, they're working out in us our salvation in such a way to that, to, to, that, that we're being mature, being built up, being strengthened in the Lord, our faith being grounded in the Lord, being purified. Sometimes we need to go through the fire so that we're purified, so that we ourselves know that we stand with Jesus Christ and in no other. We will not fall to the deceptions of man. We will not cling to the world, but we will cling to the one who has offered eternal life by his lifeblood. Listen, if Jesus Christ had strong words for the false teachers, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, etc., and Paul had such an anger toward those who had fooled the Galatians with the false gospel, then why wouldn't I have the same heart? Why wouldn't you have the same heart? If you have kids, and you have someone attacking your kids... What would you do? I know what I would do. And yet we're failing to do that. Oftentimes. Paul was justified in his righteous anger just as Paul, just as God has perfect justification in being jealous for you and I. Marking out those things that are a danger to us. 
He'd be an awful father if he, if he like, yeah, I know all the dangers, but I'm not going to point them out to you. Why? More pastors need to shepherd God's people, feeding them God's word, helping them grow in Christ, teaching them what is true, and warning them against what is false, and pointing out the hidden reefs that shipwreck lives. I, I remember having been in the Navy, and, and I was, I was uh, certified, I was trained in uh, basic uh, boat driving, I'll tell you, it, it's a coxswain is, is what it's called, uh, assault boat coxswain to where it, it was um, twin engines, two, two engines with uh, two props, and, and you could do those beach landings, uh, dropping down the front gate in order to bring in equipment and troops. And, and, and I remember how it was that I was trained to recognize certain signs along the way. Well, what does green mean on a ship? It's the same thing that the green light means on an airplane. It's called starboard side. It's the right side. What's red? Port. It's the left side. That, that way you know if it's coming or going. Right? You look up and you see green on your right and red on your left. What does that mean? It, it's going away from you. Right? And the other way around. But there's also certain signs, certain areas that we were to stay away from. Why? Because they were shallow. And if we came through in the boat, we would run the ship or the boat aground. I remember a time when we were coming out of the uh, port of uh, Jabal Ali in the United Arab Emirates and how it was that our captain decided to go against the rules um, of the, the channel that was there. And what he did is he moved over for another incoming ship, which he, he shouldn't have done. As he did that, and we were coming out of the mouth of that channel, a crosswind caught the ship, which is huge, and ran us what is considered to be soft aground. That means we didn't completely stop. But I remember being on the uppermost deck, on the boat deck, and being on our dive boat, and we were doing some work on it and just feeling the whole thing just shake. And I thought, that's not good. <laughs> and sure enough, the whole ship would kind of shimmy a little, would shake anytime we try and get it up to speed. So we had to anchor out at sea, and then as divers, we had to go down and see what happened. Well, several of the blades were at... 90 degrees, not good. That means he, he hit the ground. And we had to change it out in Bahrain. The warnings were there. Our captain did not heed those warnings. What he jeopardized was, what was much more than just the ship. But the lives of 1,800 people on that ship. What are you doing when you ignore and you just don't pay attention to the warning signs, the, the reefs that are pointed out? Well, you're in danger yourself of being shipwrecked. 
your very own relationship with the Lord being capsized and being driven down. No, the Apostle Paul very passionately gave the warning to the Galatians. He identified what was going on and he told them, this is, this is wrong, this is not right. In no uncertain terms did he give the indication, you know, tell them that these people were to be accursed. That they're, they're not good. They're not your friends. They don't mean anything good for you. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, and we've run out of time. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. A servant of Christ is one who truly has no motive but to please him who has called him to serve God and has purchased him with the blood of Christ. To Paul, it was black and white. It should be black and white to us. Either his aim was to please man or to please God. I am convinced that there are too many people who are trying to please man and seek the approval of people instead of God. For you, please know that there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. But what we have come to know according to the Word of God, the Bible itself, and nothing more, nothing less. The very Word of God is before us. And I'll close with this. The Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This was the most... Um, succinct explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then He appeared, appeared to more than 500 uh, brothers at one time. And He goes on to finally say that He appeared to the least of these the Apostle Paul. Jesus died. He was buried. Three days later was resurrected from the grave by the power of God the Father. Today he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. Why does he do that? Why? Because he desires that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. How do you know salvation? Well, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We simply surrender to Jesus Christ, confess our sins, and we ask him for forgiveness. And then we follow him, proving to be his genuine disciples, truly believing in him. And I pray that you know that and you live it out in your own lives to the glory of God and for your eternal hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your love toward us first. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And your word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thank you, Lord, that it was the finished work of the cross that brings us to a place of being able to know salvation and eternal life.
I pray, Lord, that we would know, those who are in Christ, that sin no longer has any power over us. We are not enslaved to sin. But rather, we ought to walk in the Spirit, blessing and glorifying you. And I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this morning would be the day of salvation, this very moment. And Lord, for the church, that we would not be fooled into believing a false gospel, anything other than the very word that we have before us. And so, Father, strengthen your church, purify your church. I pray, Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified through your church. Be blessed, be worshipped, for you are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.